From the PSIA AASI studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair. What a great guest we have today. U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Famer Horst Abraham joining us. Horst, thank you so much for taking the time on a holiday weekend to chat with me. You're very welcome, George. Now, we are going to be talking some about experiential learning and uh, hoping to get a series of interviews with you out of this. But, uh, Horst, as we were chatting before uh, we started to record, you were talking about teaching MBA-level students. And is teaching teaching? I mean, how does it differ from a classroom to out on the hill? Teaching is all about facilitating learning. And whether it happens in a classroom with uh, battle-hardened warriors, such as those that are coming back for their executive MBA, or whether it is a student out on the hill, um, our role and responsibility is to facilitate the learning process, meaning we have to ascertain where they are in terms of their interests, their skill set, their ambition, and then help them move from there to um, the next point that they wish to achieve. So it is really all the same, except the medium, the classroom, is different. And the power of, of teaching on snow is extraordinary because people are um, in an environment that is unusual and challenging, novel, and inviting their adaptability in ways that very few other learning experiences challenge them to do. And what you just said leads me to a quote that I saw from you. Learning new skills is one of life's greatest joys. <laughs> Does that seem miraculous or what? <laughs> um, you know, growth is, is, is energizing. Growth is uh, motivating. And when we feel we're in motion... When we're, uh, when we're getting the sense that we're making progress or we're setting a new goal and we're seeing ourselves moving in that direction, that is uh, fodder for the soul. That is, that is the, the reason why we exist. And once uh, that conversation, that curiosity uh, ceases, I really think we, we wither away as individuals. And the opportunity to learn on snow is so formidable and therefore so energizing. And to be a part, to have an opportunity to be a part of that is nothing short of extraordinary. I've always wondered why we get paid for that job. As a matter of fact, throughout my, uh, my years, decades of teaching, I never once accepted a tip from a, from a student. Rather the opposite, when we were done I shared with them my learning and thanking them for it. The opportunity to be in the, in the presence of somebody who is experiencing learning is nothing but extraordinary. And uh, to have the opportunity to witness and to influence the learning, to shepherd it, to, to draw from it yourself, and to enrich both the student and yourself in that process, is a reward that no financial reward could equal. And I, I cherish teaching and learning to teach for that reason, a never-ending process, and I hope to stay in the learning mode as long as I live. Now, can you get into what exactly experiential learning is? 
we have various interpretations at hand, and the new PSAE manual offers uh, uh, at least one. And um, the most fundamental definition of experiential learning is to learn from our experiences and reflecting upon the experiences. That is captured also by the uh, learning researcher Kolb, and who shares that in his model. So experiential learning requires that we do something that we're conscious about and reflectingly assess uh, our accomplishment and then set new goals as we move in this geometric expansion to ever higher goals and new learning. So that is in essence it. Um, the, the most raw and the most rich learning I have experienced both as a child initially as well as an adult revisiting childhood and learning theory is when we, when we experience what we live through in a childlike, playful manner. That is the raw, least polluted way of, 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 of digesting the experience and in a series of adjustments um, learn ever high, higher levels of, uh, of understanding and adaptation. That is the excitement that, un that uh, unleashes the uh, serotonin effect, the, uh, the learning addiction. The moment we begin to pollute that kind of learning with technical jargon and, uh, and abstract thinking, in that moment we begin to steal the learning experience because we contort it to a level where um, doing it and thinking about it can no longer meet and therefore learning is interrupted. Now, Horst, I have to ask, you said the word serotonin and that just triggered in me the, the feelings I get when I'm out playing with my class and, and feel just the energy that's going on and the learning and, and the fun that we're having. I certainly get uh, a blast of serotonin. Is, is that part of experiential? If, if, if you as a teacher are not experiencing it, uh, either simultaneously with that experience also happening in the student, uh, it probably won't happen. You know, exercising leadership needs to include your excitation, your excitement for what is happening, and uh, driven by the curiosity of what's possible. So, yes, I, I would say that if you don't have that, the students probably won't experience it either. So role model it and be generous with it. Be excited about your own learning, the students' learning, and make a big thing of it. Every single piece of improvement is worthy of celebration. Shout it out. Make, it, make the, the lesson loud. Make it big rather than subdued and subtle. Um, and the student will catch fire in, in, in that manner, and he or she will become unstoppable. And where does this start? Does this start at the greeting of your class? <laughs> Whoever asks such a question knows the answers, of course. You know, from the very first moment, we, we build a reputation. Uh, the impression that we give at the very first time that, we, that our eyes meet, or I say, welcome, um, or allow me to introduce myself, your, your tone, your intent shows through and that is already the, the beginning of the midwifing of the relationship, the richness of the relationship that will get you 
uh, to the magic of experiential learning. Experiential learning cannot be driven by, trans, uh, by uh, a transactional activity. And uh, so we have to believe that we can, we meaning student and I, in a power with relationship, not in a power over under relationship, will create magic. And once you believe that, it will, it will begin to happen. Now you're making me wonder, is this more powerful in a, a group lesson setting or with a private lesson setting, or is there any difference? Um, magic can happen uh, in, in, in many ways and in many forms. What I have found and what research also corroborates is that when you have a group of people uh, a group as, as, as large, ideally as large as five or six or maybe seven, um, it happens most readily because the reciprocal energy that you begin to manage and unleash, uh, the curiosity that is being shared, insights that are being shared, uh, create a learning environment that is so rich, so credible, that the instructor only becomes one of the participants rather than being the kingpin. Because as long as uniform and instructor rule in the learning environment, it is a deferential relationship between the student and the teacher, which belies the fact that learning needs to be owned by the student. The process needs to be owned by the student. So... Uh, engagement needs to be fostered from the very, very onset. So again, from the handshake to the conversation that is making unusual uh, relationship pieces come to life, the trust that we generate there, they're all essential ingredients. And by the way, um, that sort of speaks to my mantra of most of what's important in helping people learn is not teachable, but it is only learnable. So feeling as an instructor, as the designer of the learning environment is imperative and becoming good at it, knowing how to invite that learning environment to become optimal and what role each person in that learning environment plays, that is really what creates the magic. And that requires more than bullet point knowledge of how we learn and in what sequence we learn it. And that leads me right into another quote of yours, which is, learning trumps knowledge. <laughs> uh, and, and I would like to immediately counter that with another quote of mine, <laughs> with which I seeded a lot of controversy uh, when I said, knowledge is overrated in the learning process, suggesting that um, I don't necessarily need to uh, visit stage two in the cold model uh, in order to learn. As a matter of fact, the most rapid, the most raw, and most uh, uh, comprehensive learning is oftentimes uh, under experienced when I playfully learn, not uh, by cognitive scrutiny of what it was that I did and how that impacted the result. Um, that is a, a, a model that seems to be appealing to adults, but in, in effect, it, it has proven not to be superior or even coming near to learning in a playful manner. I can't emphasize the play in learning enough 
when we enter into flow that is so much more easily uh, achieved by playful learning, that is when magic happens. That is when the instructor can step aside and uh, abandon uh, waving his badge. You know, it was a real eye-opener when I passed my level three because I wasn't like, oh, now I know everything. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got a lot more to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club. There are, there are still and again with the emergence of neuroscience, uh, so many things that we need to revisit with before we institutionalize what we think is our current knowledge and understanding. Um, so hopefully our fearless leaders in on the national and regional level will understand the need to practice paradoxical thinking because any organization that has um, uh, dualities at work, such as stability and flexibility and change, um, will really achieve an environment in which members, especially in our kind of membership, will thrive and learn and grow. If we defer all development and all knowledge to our leaders in PSIA, um, it will become a, a, a deadbeat kind of, of membership organization. So let's be very careful as to not doing too much for the membership and do more with the membership, which is, again, subscribing to the model of teaching as well. Not so much doing things for the student, but with the student. Now, Horst, as we sum up this first interview that we're doing in our series, uh, I'm kind of looking at our traditional questions of what and how, as opposed to what it sounds like you're saying we should ask, which is why and who. <laughs> well, the who has an awful lot to do with good teaching, because ultimately um, our persona, our own self is that comes out in, in, in the way we teach. So asking ourselves the who question is very, very important. Both the who in terms of me, myself, and my best self, as well as the who, the student's best self. Um, so addressing that um, and being ready to weave that into the methodology is imperative. We have asked us. We have usually spent too much time in my in my thinking on the how, and uh, rather than talking about the what. So, if the who and what can be brought forward in a much more pungent way, I really think learning would become easier, teaching would become more dynamic, and uh, repeat lessons would materialize far more often then we're currently generating them. Then a word I've heard you use about instructors as well is humility. Why is that important? What, how much do I really know about the experience of the student unless I ask? So the humility to, to, uh, to live in the question when I'm teaching is, is imperative. If I come without that curiosity and therefore without humility into a lesson, all I will do is present them with stereotypical information that we hope and assume will hit the target. And learning theory tells us very, very clearly that that just isn't so. So we need to learn 
to not pretend to know about the student, not to pretend to know about his or her experience, not to pretend to know about what's possible, but in real time, plow, plow that soil and uh, dig into it uh, with questions, curiosity, and challenges, uh, setting the bar very high, you know, what's currently not possible, but if it were, it would change everything. Such hypothetical questions can ignite um, leap learning rather than creep learning, um, and the methodology that surrounds that will hopefully be something that we'll be talking about in one of the upcoming sessions. Well, Horst Abraham, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. George, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for your time and, and thought. From the PSIA ASI Studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.